All right, New Life Friday night. Great to see you. Great to be with you tonight. Amen, amen, amen. I love the sound of chatter and conversation. It's the good sounds, the sound of the family of God. Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we begin to open up the scriptures tonight? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for the way that your presence is already at work in this room, in this place by your Holy Spirit. And God, we're asking you to just come on, have your way. Open up our hearts, open up our minds. Lord, we want to put our whole lives before you on the altar. Living sacrifices, Lord. Speak to us tonight. Make it more than just another evening or another service or another thing. Make this a moment where you interrupt and encounter us with your presence. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Earlier this year, my father-in-law retired from about 50 years of farming. Uh, He lives in Iowa, farmed land that was, you know, from his parents and and has done it for a lot of years. And he raised some crops, corn, alfalfa, soybean, but mostly beef cattle. And he was the kind of farmer that his, his cows were sort of like his congregation. So we had the most interesting conversations over the years as we try to find the parallel between his work and my work. Uh, and I, I'll just leave it right there and let your imagination run. But I think one of the things that I found so fascinating about the way he approached farming is while uh, the farming sort of work began to change over the last few decades and he began to see the influx of what he described as agro-business, he tried to hang on to farming as a way of life. And he tried to hang on to farming as something that he did as a calling, something that he did because he loved the dirt, he loved the soil, and he loved the animals. In fact, there's a couple of pictures, 12 or 13 years ago, I went out there, and we had just bought like a camera, and I didn't really know how to use it, but I was like, I'm going to take some pictures. So I took this one, he starts calling this cow by name Bessie or something, I don't know. She starts coming, and then the next scene, he puts his hand out, the cow's totally, I mean, this is like... Cows are not supposed to just respond to you like that, I don't think. And then this final picture, it's like, there it is, you know. There's a farmer and his cow. He's probably saying, or you've got one more month before slaughter. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea what he's saying. I have no idea what he's saying. But when you look at that, we're sort of moved by that kind of romantic image of, man, this is the greatness of America. This is the purity of farming and of agriculture and caring for stuff. But maybe even deeper than that, what moves us is in these pictures we see a person who's found a calling. We see a person who's found a way of spending their minutes and their hours and their days not just doing chores, and farmers are always doing chores, not just doing chores, but actually living out a calling. In her best-selling book, Grit, the psychologist Angela Duckworth says that the reason grit works, the reason she can get back up after encountering failure and difficulty is because she doesn't just have a job, she has a calling. And if we pause for a moment tonight, maybe all of us would say, I kind of have a longing for that. I actually don't like my job, or I don't like the career that I'm in, or I'm fresh out of college and this is just an entry level thing, but one day I hope to step into this. What I want to explore with you tonight is what it means to think about calling in a broader sense than just the work that we do. Calling in a broader sense than just the jobs that we have, but calling as in the way we live in the world. And tonight I want to talk to us about the calling and the cross. The calling and 
the cross. There's gonna be two texts that we're gonna look at. We're gonna look at Exodus 3 and we're gonna look at John 12. It's the story of Moses and his calling and it's the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Two texts, two stories, and I wanna say three things about the calling and the cross. But we're gonna begin with a little bit of a preamble. Exodus 3, verse one, it says, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he, fled the, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. Now maybe you've read this story before, but you've not seen this, but it says Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. If you know the story, you know that Moses grew up in Pharaoh's court. You know that Moses was born at a time when Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, was threatened by how the Hebrew people had grown to such large numbers. And he ordered that every Hebrew male that was born under a particular age be killed. And these Hebrew moms and midwives snuck babies down the river. Moses was snuck in a basket down the river and these Hebrew midwives worked their way in to be with Pharaoh's daughter. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court, but he knows who he actually is, and he sees the suffering of his people, and one day justice rises up in him, as so often strikes us in our youth. He has all of the zeal, but none of the wisdom, and he kills a guy, and Moses then has to flee, and he goes away in the desert. Moses is not in the job he wanted. Can we say that? He's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. That may be good for some people, but Moses knew what royalty was like. Moses knew what leadership was like. Moses knew what power was like. Moses knew situations that required some help. And yet Moses finds himself taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. Tonight, as you listen to this, you might find yourself in a place that is an in-between. A place that feels like a holding pattern. Maybe you're not quite there. You're waiting for one more thing to happen in your life. And I want to say to you that actually, even in these in-between seasons, stay alert to the presence of God. Even in these in-between, maybe especially in these in-between seasons, stay alert to the presence of God. Verse 2, it says, There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. A few things just as a preamble into this exploration tonight. Moses sees something and then stops to go over and look. There are times when the Lord's trying to get our attention and we refuse to go over and look. But God, don't talk to me about generosity, God. I'm not listening. Oh God, don't talk to me about this area of my life because I really don't want to stop and listen. Moses is in a moment where he says, okay, I will stop and listen. And it says, when God saw that he turned aside to look, he spoke to him. I think very often of that story that happens later on to, to a boy named Samuel. You remember this? And he hears a voice calling him in the middle of the night. He goes to Eli, the priest, and goes, Eli, uh, you called me. He's like, I'm not calling you. I'm, I'm tired, and I'm old. Just leave me alone. He comes again, and again, finally, Eli's like, okay, maybe it's God. We haven't heard from God in a long time, but maybe. And he's like, listen, next time you, know, you hear this thing, say, you know, that, that, you know, tell the Lord, here I am. And Samuel says, speak, Lord, for your servant 
is listening. Some of you are waiting for the Lord to speak, but can I say something to you? God's actually waiting for you to take the posture of a servant. God's actually waiting for you to take the posture of a servant. Why waste your time giving instructions to someone who is not ready to obey? Why waste your time giving, revealing a calling to a person who's like, but I don't actually want to do it. Samuel says, speak, your servant is listening. Moses says, here I am. And then God says, okay, now we're in business. And very often we're saying, God, I just want you to just send this to me, just interrupt me, just, you know. And he's like, I will, but I just want to know, do I have your attention? Do I have your surrender? Because when I do, then I'll speak. Now we get into it. Verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He realized this wasn't just some sort of phenomenon that was happening. This was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who had drawn near to him. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. Listen, I don't know if you have a paper Bible with you, but if you do, great. You can underline these words. Underline every time you see I and my. Listen to God saying this. I am the Lord, right? Then, then verse seven. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them out of that land into the good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey and Chick-fil-A and in and out the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. When you, when you know what to pay attention to, all of a sudden you realize how much it's there. I, I, I. My people, my people, my people, my people. The first thing that we've got to recognize when we're trying to discover or discern is say, God, what is my calling? Regardless of my job and regardless of my season of life, what is the thing you're asking me to offer my life to you for? The first thing we've got to recognize is it's actually God's story that we're joining. Our calling, number one, our calling is to join God's mission in the world. I believe a ton in looking at our gifts and paying attention to our passions. We gotta do that stuff. I'm a big fan of all the different tools from, from the Myers-Briggs stuff to the Enneagram stuff. Let's bring it on, I love it. Self-discovery is great, but that's phase two. You know what phase one is? Phase one is, God, what are you doing in the world? God, what is your heart beat for? God, what are you up to? God, what do you see in the world? Notice that God says to Moses, I've seen it. I've heard it. And then he says, I'm coming down to deliver them. And if you're Moses at this point, you're like, oh, that's awesome. What does it look like when God shows up? And God's like, <clears throat> it looks like you. <laughs> and he's like, ah, no, I can't speak really. And I, uh, 
But that's like us, isn't it? Like we're praying, and I love this. We're cultivating prayer and new life again. I love that. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hear it. Prayer should come with a warning label. God's going to answer your prayers through you. What? Like what? You're like, Lord, bring revival to our city. He's like, great. Would you talk to your coworker? No, I'm not doing it. God, you give them a dream, God. <laughs> Our calling is to join God's mission in the world. One of my favorite theologians, N.C. Wright, describes the calling in Genesis of the human beings made in God's image. He says, to be an image bearer is really to be like an angled mirror. An angled mirror that reflects God into the world and then reflects creation's praise upward to God. Kings and priests. An angled mirror. I love that picture of it. But you know, the thing about the mirror is it's got no light on its own. (laughs) It's got to stay close to the actual source. The moon doesn't shine on its own. It needs the light of another being. When we start searching for our calling as if we are the source of light, everything goes dark. We live in a world right now, we live in a moment right now where everyone's saying the message all around us and the culture around us is you gotta find yourself, you gotta make yourself, you gotta define yourself, you decide your own identity, you determine who you are. The self-made individual is an old American myth. But there's a new version of the myth which is we define our own identity and we define our own this and that and all of this stuff and it sounds like liberation but it's really the path to bondage and destruction. Because we weren't made to be our own light. We weren't made to be our own source. We were made to be an angled mirror in the world. We were made to join God's mission in the world. And the good news is God has a mission in the world. The good news is that God, throughout scriptures, is a missionary God. God is the one who calls after humanity. God is the one who calls after Adam and Eve. So many human religions, maybe every human religion, is about man's search for God. And our Bible opens with God's search for man. It opens with the story of God saying, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? God is a missionary God. There's an Old Testament scholar named Christopher Wright who says, it's not that the church has a mission, it's that the mission of God has a church. God is a missionary God. He's set on doing something in the world and so he has a people through whom that mission gets accomplished. If we were to press deeper and, and, and we, could make a whole, we could have a whole sermon about God's mission in the world, but just on the, in this story, What God calls Moses to join in on is, I want to deal with evil, I want to deliver my people, and I want to draw them to myself. Maybe you need a little list of like, what is God's mission in the world? There's lots of ways we could describe that, but it's at least these three things. God is always at work in the world to deal with evil. So maybe you say, well, God, what's an evil that I can deal with? Maybe it's helping someone walk, get freedom from an addiction. Maybe it's helping someone know that they are loved. Maybe it's helping someone know that they belong. I'm going to help deal with evil. Maybe another part of how you answer that is, how can you bring deliverance to someone? Some of you work as financial advisors. You're bringing people deliverance from the bondage of debt and consumerist addictions. You're, deliver- you're bringing God's deliverance there. A third one, drawing people to himself. Probably all of us could join God in that. 
deal with evil, deliver people, draw, God, draw people to the Lord. Our calling is to join God's mission in the world. Amen? John 12, we go to our other text. This is Jesus now. Jesus replied, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And very truly I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Skip down to verse 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. (laughs) You know, I wonder what people thought when they heard that. Lifted up. Oh, Jesus. Sounds magnificent. Should we build like a bigger temple? A taller building, perhaps? A new Babel? And John, and almost anticipating what the listener is going to think, he says, uh, just so, verse 33, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus did go up on a hill to die. And the crowd spoke up and said, we've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? The reason they're saying this is because In the Jewish expectation, in the Jewish imagination of the first century, there was an expectation of a Messiah, someone who'd win a great victory. In some sense, Christians, people of God, have always loved that part of the story. Ooh, a great victory. Ooh, a champion. This This is exactly what... But there was this other little thread that shows up in Isaiah about a suffering servant. And I wonder if people were like, well, let's just tuck that one back a little bit. We, we like the victory one. Great conqueror. Yes. Soldier. Champion. And Jesus is like, mm, I got a Jesus juke for you. It's the same person. The suffering servant and the victorious Messiah. It's the same person. That God is actually going to accomplish his victory through self-giving love and death on a cross. And so the second thing we've got to recognize is that every calling from God comes with a cross. Every calling from God comes with a cross. Now this is the part where we don't, listen, we we could multiply the church if we just said to everyone that come to Jesus and you'll get your breakthrough and your blessing and all your burdens will go away and life will get easier. Like we could probably multiply this thing quick. But the message of the cross has always been difficult to swallow. And what Jesus says to his disciples is, I am going to accomplish the mission of God. But it's going to come through a cross. And we wish it weren't so, but it is so. When Jesus calls people to follow him, it's, follow me, uh, I'll make you fishers of men. They're like, yes, love it, let's go. And then, you know, a couple years, maybe a year and a half into following Jesus, he's like, there's one more thing, guys. Um, You actually have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. This summer, early part of June, several of us got to take a trip to Israel. It was my first time. And uh, if you've been, you know how moving that experience can be. And, And it certainly was for me. My first time was just a small group of us and and we got to take our time at some of the sites. And, you know, Jerusalem, the old city, is, it's crowded, but you can see the markings on the walls of 
the way of suffering, the Via Dolorosa where Jesus would have walked. And, and there's a couple of guesses about where the cross you know, was, where Golgotha was, but the one that has the longest standing tradition goes all the way back. And the, of course, in true Christian fashion, we've now built shrines and churches and made it super ornate, you know. Uh, but it's okay. It, it can be a place of adoration and worship. And the day that we went, we were fortunate that it was quiet that day, or relatively speaking, quiet. And so there was a line that you go through to come to the, this place that is the foot of the cross. And they've put, uh, you know, another cross in there. And you can see through a glass floor and there's a rock. And it sort of seems like, yeah, this could be the spot. But because it wasn't overly crowded that day, I got to come before it and kneel. And I felt so moved in that moment, just struck by this. In the midst of all our competition for power, all our ways of thinking how we got to take back this, and this is how we flex, and this is how we do the mission of God, and listen, what the mission of God requires is more strong men, and what the mission of God requires is more strong this, and more power, and more force, and more victories, and more bullying, and more, and here is this cross. And as I knelt down at it, I found myself praying, Lord, teach me the way of the cross. Friends, I, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is gonna bring renewal in our land. I believe with all my heart that there's renewal and revival that's coming. But it's coming when the church recognizes that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It'll come when we let go of all our other instruments of power, all our other levers of control. It'll come when we recognize that our calling is actually a cross. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's Jesus. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's the devil. Sometimes it's the cross in the calling that you're facing. As the text goes on, it says in verse 27 of John 12, Jesus says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. It's interesting, you know, it's a beautiful thing that we have the different gospels because they all give us different shades of the story. We have in Matthew's gospel, Jesus literally saying, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me. And now we have in John's gospel, almost like this inner dialogue where Jesus is saying, should I say, save me from this hour? No. It is for this very reason that I came to this hour. And so Jesus says, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Maybe the most important thing in all of this is this third thing. Obedience to the call of God will result in the glory of God. I cannot promise you that it will result in a good life. I cannot promise you that it will result in a better bank account or greater happiness. For 2,000 years, men and women have followed Jesus. Some got sawn in half and some got saved from the den of lions. But what I can say to you is that obedience to the call of God will result in the glory of God. And at some point, we've got to, we've got to decide if that's actually the goal. Is that actually the goal? Our kids are... Growing up way too fast, and our oldest, Sophia's on her way to college in a few weeks. I feel like I'm still 22, leading worship on this stage at the mill, you know. And she's headed out, and you get kind of reflective as a parent, and you think, I hope we did this right, I hope we said the right things. 
But one of the things we've, we've tried to do and maybe we'll keep trying to do and have done imperfectly is to always ask, teach our kids to ask not what your dreams are, but what God's burdens are. Instead of saying, well, what's in your heart? Go chase your dream. What if we could say, what do you think God is burdened about? What do you think God sees in the world? What do you think God made you to join him in? How do you think your life can bring him glory? How do you think your gifts, your passions, your experiences, our calling, the truth is our calling can be lived out in many contexts. I've told, I've told the story before, but uh, almost two years ago when I had surgery on my vocal cords in October of 2020, the surgeon out in Boston, he was just so kind in the way that he interacted with me and, and knew all of my fears. And the day after the surgery, I was not allowed to speak for two weeks. And so I couldn't talk to him. But, you know, Holly, my wife was there and he's explaining to us what he had done and how it had gone and all this stuff. And I just wrote on my phone, I just wrote out, I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then I said, you're like a pastor. And so, so he's reading it out loud. I mean, this is like a Boston surgeon, you know, like, like from Boston, you know. And, he's, and, he's, and, he, and he, he's reading this thing and he goes, you're like a pastor. He goes, nobody's told me that before, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I don't think he's a believer, but I, it, it, it highlighted to me that actually there are callings in us that show up in all kinds of contexts. Show up when you're in your home taking care of kids. Show up when your roommates. Show up when you're a student. Show up when you're working at Starbucks. I mean, how many, of, how many of you have sort of encountered someone at a coffee shop? They're like, dude, your calling is an encourager. Like, you're, I know you're making lattes and latte art, <laughs> but you got other calls. This is, this, is, this is bigger than job advice. This is bigger than work. We have a calling to join the mission of God. We have a calling that involves a cross and we have a calling that will result in the glory of God. You believe that tonight? This is a special night for me, personally. Um, this is a special room. It was in this room in 1996, I think I was a freshman at ORU. Came out here on a fall break, there were flags hanging from these rafters. Anyone remember that in this room? You, have you blocked out the teal carpet, maybe? And I sat kind of halfway back during the worship time, and Ross and the crew were leading up here, and I just wept throughout worship. And I just had this sense in my heart of like, oh, I want to be part of this church. I want to be here someday. And so August of 2000, moved out here, came as an intern to the worship department. Three months later, thank goodness, they made it a job, which really just meant that I got like a little bit more a month. <laughs> but it was enough that I could then uh, make plans to propose to my college sweetheart, Holly. We got married the following summer, August of 01, and, and we've been in this church, she and I together, 21 years, me for that year prior, and we love this place. And we've, we've never set our hearts on anywhere else, never, never looked, never thought, oh, what if? There have been moments, there have been questions, seasons where we put it before the Lord. But most of the time when calls came or emails came, I'd say, hey, why would I want to go anywhere else? I, I'm right here. 
Last year, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, connected with a church in Costa Mesa, California, and I had met him through his work, which he works now with Alpha USA, and, and he called me to see if there's any interest in exploring this church with him, you know, exploring this option of this church, and I said, Todd, I'm, I'm so happy. I love where I am. That was March of last year. By the summer of last year, it was like there was this little, t- I wouldn't even call it a burning bush. It was just this little flicker. <laughs> and I, it was like the Lord was saying, are you going to turn aside and look? And I was like, no, I don't want to look. <laughs> I don't wanna, what, what's that over there? I don't even see it. And it started to just become obvious to me that I, I needed to kind of stop. And as I did, we, we, I took a trip out there. I went to go speak at the church in mid-November and, and, and I got kind of jumped by the Holy Spirit, you know? <laughs> I got surprised. Um, I felt a burden rising in my heart for a church that had been really strong and had sort of been in disrepair in the last few years. And, and I felt my heart bond with the people, the staff and the elders, and I felt this burden developing. And I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Came back, talked with Pastor Brady, talked with Holly, and we just took our time, and we kept having this thing kind of rise in our hearts and kept feeling the Lord say, would you put it on the table? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then in January, we just thought, I think we need to go out there together. Holly and I went out there together with Brady's blessing, and we met with some of the elders and met with some of the team. And this time, her, her with me, we just felt like, wow, there's something here. But again, we took our time. There was some timing things that didn't feel quite right. And listen, my best advice to you about decision-making is if you feel like you're in a season that's like fog, go slow. Slow down. You don't drive fast in a fog. You want to drive fast because you want to get out of it. That's the worst thing you could do. And so we, there was a little bit of fits and starts, a little bit of start and stop for, the, for us exploring this even in January. But February, March, April, May, it just became clear and clearer. Clear. April, we hit the 10-year anniversary with New Life Downtown, and we just began to feel we're, we, we've, we've reached a finish line. And we have such confidence in, in Pastor Jason Jackson, who's spoken here before. And he's been leading and leading the team, and we just knew it. It was like, oh, we better pay attention. Our story's not the only story in the kingdom. There's a story for the Jacksons, too. <laughs> And that's, that's, the, that's the other thing. When you start paying attention to the mission of God, you stop being myopic about just what's my calling, God, as if we're the hero in the story. We're not. There's other people in the story, too. And we start to recognize, actually, I think the time is coming for the Jacksons. This is their time. And so we began to process with the senior team and the elders here at New Life. And the end of May, we went out there to this church in California with our family and you know, there's many ways of doing this stuff, guys. Our, our, the Pacquiams have a hard time keeping secrets from our kids. <laughs> They're just too smart. <laughs> and so we just didn't even try. We are like, hey, we, they, they knew for months that we'd been praying about this, and we took the risk to let them in on it. And when we went out there in May, we said, look, guys, God never forces us. I mean, that's, that's something else about discerning the call of God. God never forces us. He always, always invites us. And I didn't want, we didn't want our kids to grow up resenting God. God made our family move. God, listen, it's not like that. God loves a partnership. 
And so we said, look, you, you get a voice in this. You pray with us. You discern with us, you know. I didn't tell them their vote didn't count as much, you know. <laughs> you know parents, you hold a few things back, you know. But <laughs> it's like Seth tonight leading worship. Can I get your permission? He's like, I didn't need it, actually. I was going to do it anyway. <laughs> I like it, buddy. So we, so we invited them into it, and, and by the end of the weekend, you know, we would do these check-ins every night of the trip. We'd say, where are you at? Green light, yellow light, red light. And by the end of the trip, everybody was like, Dad, we just, it's green light. We, we want to do this. We feel like the Lord is in this. So I entered the process officially in, in June, and, and it was, a, you know, it was a, a wonderful time with the search team, and, and they gave a very joyful, enthusiastic, unanimous yes we flew out there again and met with the elders and had a, a beautiful time. And so we felt, in the midst of this, we felt unity, we felt peace, we felt unity and peace with the team here. We've even felt joy, which is a hard thing to say because the truth is there's also a lot of sadness and there's a lot of sorrow. And I'm preaching you tonight <laughs> to you tonight Words that I've preached to myself for the last six months. That every calling from God comes with a cross. There's no way around it. If God's at work in the world, he's going to be at work in the world through people who will lay down their lives for the sake of someone else. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. You're like, like come on, man, you're moving to Orange County, California. Like, you're not exactly taking up your cross. It's true, it's true. <laughs> I get it, I get it. I get it. But we love New Life, and we love Colorado Springs, and we've built a community here for 22 years. We've lived the power of place. We love this. But we also know that if God is going to be glorified in the world, it's going to be through a people who'll say yes, who will join him. Join him in the staying faithfulness and join him in the going kind of faithfulness. Amen? So I just want to say tonight... Thank you. Thanks for being an amazing church family to us, to our family, to our four kids. Thanks for 22 years of um, being patient with me growing up from a barefooted, long-haired worship leader to a slightly more respectable guy, <laughs> marginally more. And above all, I want to encourage you to live on the edge of faith. To always put your life on the table, on the altar before the Lord and say, God, you're at work in the world. How do you want me to join you today? And probably he'll say, the very thing you're doing, that's how you join me. Carry on. And you're like, all right, God, you got it. But once in a while he might say, actually, I'd like to reroute you. <laughs> in all of those moments, the everyday faithfulness and the extraordinary obedience in all of it, Recognize the calling is a participation with God in his mission. The calling comes with a cross, and the calling will result in the glory of God. Would you stand with me tonight? The worship team comes. We're going to come to the Lord's table. And this is a perfect way to respond. It's always a perfect way to respond, but it's a perfect way to respond tonight. Because here's the good news. It's still the mission of Jesus. We get to join the Messiah, but we don't have to be the Messiah. You hear me tonight, friends? 
Some of you, yeah, the Holy Spirit is trying to shake you out of lethargy and comfort and say, oh, I need to surrender to God. Others of you, you're already the overworking, overachieving type, and you just need to hear, hey, hey, ho, ho, you're joining the Messiah's mission. You're not taking over the Messiah's mission. Like, you're either they're still a Messiah. That job is not vacant, <laughs> right? We're gonna come to Jesus' table tonight, and we're gonna let Jesus feed us with his body and his blood. We're gonna let Jesus be our portion tonight. So that we can say, God, as you feed us, send us out into the world, amen? Send us out into the world. And so if you would, all over the room, you could, you could, yeah, you could start opening up this package and the layer on top there and then the other layer. And open up your hands before the Lord once you're ready. And we're just gonna surrender to him. Jesus, you are the faithful one, Jesus. You are the humble one. You're the suffering servant. You're the risen king. You're the good shepherd. So God, tonight, by your grace, we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices. In view of your mercy, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. But Jesus, it's you, it's your mission, it's your grace, it's your blood, it's your body, it's your power. So Lord, we're asking you to do what only you can do through our lives. Take our Mondays and our Tuesdays, every day of the week, our minutes, our moments, our hours and our days. Take every part of who we are, our relationships, our friendships, our work, our gifts. Take all of it. Like bread and this, like this bread and like this cup, we offer them to you. We ask you to bless it. We ask you to break it. We ask you to give us for the life of the world. And so Jesus, we receive your grace afresh, even now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's receive the bread together. And let's receive the cup together. And now would you just open up your hands and just begin to let thanksgiving and adoration come out of your mouth to him. You can just say it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. You're the one, God. And you call us to join you. What a joy. What a privilege, God. What a privilege, God, to just come alongside you. You're the one. It's your work. Thank you that we get to join you. It's your grace. Abound to us now as we exalt you, Jesus. Striving seas, my comforter, my 
Our God is a missional God. Our God is a missional God that all would know that he is good and that he calls us his sons and his daughters. Our God is a good God. And our God has been good to us by giving us a good servant leader pastor. Pastor Glenn, we love you. I'm especially, I'm especially thankful. He said, he forgot to tell you he's going to Rock Harbor in Costa Mesa. And I'm especially thankful that the Lord has called you to this church. I was 19 years old, a freshman in college, and didn't know how to worship the Lord like he's shown me now. And he showed me through Rock Harbor. 
as a young man and the way that that church ministered to me. And now that they're calling you, the Lord is calling you into that place to minister to others in that city uh, where I am from um, is a gift. And so what we want to do tonight to end this service is to pray blessing over Pastor Glenn. So Pastor Glenn, come up here. I invited um, our elder Scott Palmer and our staff, Vincent, Jordan, Leah, come join me as we pray. Obedience to the call of God for the glory of God. Lord, we thank you that you are a missional God, that you have plans and purposes for Glenn, but it's not for his glory, it's for the glory of God, that people in this city would know you as a good God, know you as Savior, that you would call people out of darkness and into your marvelous light. So we thank you, I thank you for what you're gonna do in Costa Mesa. Lord, would you reveal it even afresh to Pastor Glenn? Glenn, I remember uh, 20 years ago, you had massive flow and crazy skinny jeans. And uh, when you come back to visit us, don't call me dude. I would just love everybody to stretch their hands out to this amazing young man, served our church for 22 years. For old people like me, we've had some crazy highs and we've had some crazy lows, but this young man has endured and served like only Glenn Packham, Dr. Glenn Packham could do. I'm so proud of you. Lord, we just thank you for Glenn. We just thank you for his heart. We just sent him with a new life blessing that is just abundant. I pray for prosperity. I pray that his congregation grows, that he falls in love with those people like I know he will, but just as important as they fall in love with him. I pray over Holly, his amazing kids, Lord Jesus, that they all just get a special amount of anointing from you, Lord. Just help them grow, help them succeed, and let him know that he always has a home here at New Life, that he's got a family here that is always gonna welcome him home with open arms. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we just pray a special blessing over a son of this church, a brother of this church in your holy and precious name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we all said, Let's end it with a doxology here tonight. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings We love you.